Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by SEO Samba, comprehensive high-performing marketing solutions for mature and emerging franchise brands. To supercharge your franchise marketing, go to seosamba.com. That's S-E-O-S-A-M-B-A dot com. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Franchise Marketing Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Bob Fish with Big Beak Coffee. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Lee. Well, before we get too far into things, tell us a little bit about Big B. Um, where'd you get started and who you serving? Yeah, right. So we started in uh, 1995 in East Lansing, Michigan. That's basically in the center of the state. Uh, we opened uh, a first location. There weren't any coffee chains yet. There were a bunch of independents. Uh, and that kind of thing. And um, we, we did well. Uh, we did good. And um, before we knew it, in 1997, we had a, a second location. And by the time we hit 1999, we started franchising. Now, you know, when I say this we thing, uh, I'm talking about myself and, and my partner, Mike McFall. And, um, you know, I opened the first location, uh, but about uh, nine months in, uh, Mike was working for me as a barista, and we were planning that second location, and I was going to hit him up to be the uh, the next door manager of, of that location. And we went for a long walk in East Lansing, and by the time we came back four hours later, uh, we shook hands and he started, you know, decided to start uh, the concept that we have today uh, that franchises. So now when, it, when you first started, was the dream always to franchise or was it like, okay, I'll, let's see what we can do here in the area. And, you know, we'll just kind of, just kind of lifestyle business, just let this go where it'll go. Yeah, right. No, you know, I'd come out of the restaurant business. I used to own a pancake house and, and I got into the specialty coffee business because A, I love coffee uh, and B, I was looking for a simpler model to, to execute. And the reason I was looking for that simpler model was I, I intended to, to grow it to something of significance, uh, but we hadn't decided that it would be a franchise model. So what, so you, it might've been all owned or operated at some point? Uh, yeah. I mean, so uh, Mike and I owned the original two locations and then we had built it up to about 20 company owned stores. Uh, but today we're a hundred percent, uh, franchise. But, you know, the way we came across the franchising model, because, you know, we were neophytes in that particular area, was was really two ways. One, uh, we, we, we basically had our act together enough on that first location that people used to call us up and say, hey, where are you out of? You know, and, and that's that was a signal that uh, we, we looked and felt a little bit like a place that you should belong to or that you could join. You know what I'm saying? And then the other thing is, uh, you know, I knew a woman by the name of Mary Ellen Sheets, and I don't know if, if you or your listeners know who that is, but she's the founder of Two Men in a Truck, and she was from East Lansing also. And I went to visit her one day and said, hey, you know, I know you don't know me, but uh, I have two cafes. We're sort of interested in franchising. Uh, I have some questions for you. And she was so gracious and uh, answered all our silly questions. Uh, but what she really did for us by the time she sent us out the door uh, was give us confidence that we can move forward with a franchising model. Now, for the folks who are out there that are maybe an emerging brand like you were at that time, what are kind of some of the uh, signals that you do have your act together enough to be a franchise? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the things that we knew we had to get in place before we became a franchise was one, you know, documentation of all uh, procedures. You know, often people uh, come up with a concept and, and uh, but they're carrying all that information around in their head and, and they transfer it osmotically to their staff and so on. We spent a significant amount of time actually writing everything down, all the processes, all the systems. So that was very important. And then I think one of the most uh, obvious things perhaps, but you do have to be able to demonstrate that you can um, uh, be profitable, right? There has, to, there has to be enough profit in order for uh, somebody, if they were to open one, that they could be successful also. And then, um, so did you struggle with either of those or were you able to feel confident? Okay, we have our systems down. We got, uh, it's, you know, we know confidently we can open up and, and have a good chance at profit. Like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, on the profitability front and specialty coffee, um, you know, actually selling a cup of coffee can be very profitable. The, the hump you have to get over is the, is the sort of the volume of drinks that you need to sell. And, and we think we came up with the systems and, and that's still true today to attract customers so that you can get over that volume hump. But, you know, the one thing that we weren't yet good at was uh, developing systems. And, you know, one of the hardest things I think for, you know, either whether you're a shopkeeper or, uh, you know, whether you're just a small business person is to take all those thoughts and ideas in your head and get them down on paper because you're so busy running your business, you know. And so what we did, we were right next to Michigan State University. We hired a, a, a college uh, person that came out of the English department. And, and the way we would write our manuals is we get together with this person for about an hour a day. And just, it was her, and just tell her all the things that we were doing. Then she would go write those things down, uh, organize a little bit, bring it back to us. Then we'd review it, mark it up. And, and before we knew it, we had manuals. So you were able to leverage kind of the uh, the college uh, student. And do, were you partnering with somebody at that college and saying, hey, this is an internship or you were trying to make it? Nothing, no, nothing that official. You know, I think the thing that we recognized, Lee, was that we weren't good at, we weren't going to be good at that at that moment in time. You know, we were, we were definitely uh, nose to the grindstone in terms of uh, running the business. And I, I do think this is one of the hardest things is for folks to find the time to, to, to sort of create the, 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 the concept in black and white on pieces of paper. Yeah. Cause it's one thing in your head. And then in reality, when you're trying to transfer that knowledge, it's impossible to do it to, for somebody in another state you know, if you got, it, there's too many moving parts, right? And you probably don't even realize how many moving parts there are until you start writing them down. No doubt, right? And so uh, being able to communicate those just in conversation, which, you know, both Mike and I are really good at, uh, and then have somebody that had some literary talent to write that down was very effective. And yeah, it was, it was like an internship. Um, although I don't think we called it that at that moment in time, we were just looking for some low cost way of building uh, manuals. And that's just the way we figured it out in that moment in time. Now, how did you kind of develop the brand and the brand culture? Yeah, I mean, you know, I personally, I, I think brand culture, when when it's founder driven, is is basically the, the DNA of the founders, right? So, and that's not always obvious in, in the very beginning uh, of a concept. But as time goes on, I, I think you can find that the the persona or the personality of a brand definitely comes from uh, the founders, right? So we were always people that like to have fun. Uh, we were always people that 
uh, loved other people. Uh, we were always people that were highly engaged in the community. And all those things came to manifest in the brand as the brand itself in the end. Now, um, how did you land on kind of the footprint of the store? There's so many different types of coffee places now. There's the, you know, the the third place where you go there to do work and it's kind of a mini co-working spaces to the things that are just a drive-through where there's just two windows on either side. How did you kind of land on what you landed on? Yeah. And you know, where we landed is we, we have footprints that, that meet all those things you just described, right? So, you know, we have what we would just call street side cafes with no drive-through. We have cafes uh, where you have indoor seating plus drive-through and drive-through onlys and kiosks and colleges and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, really, it's the consumer that will tell you how they want it delivered. And one of the things to remember about specialty coffee, although it's a gathering place for many folks, you know, frankly, people in America are kind of busy. And, you know, they, they uh, look for convenience over everything else. And so when, when the public speaks to you, they'll tell you exactly how they want it delivered in their community. But the thing is, you know, when we first started, we were about 2,000 square feet. It was dine-in only with a little bit of a patio. And our concept has evolved over time to meet the needs of each individual community. And you have to keep in mind, we're in communities that are small towns in rural America. We have locations that are in large cities. We have them in uh, contained areas like a university or a business complex and that kind of thing. And one always has to adapt to the environment that the customer is giving you. Now, is it better for you to be in a market that has some of the larger players or do you purposely avoid those? Is that how you decide where to put your next location? Well, um, it's, it's rather indifferent to us in, in some ways uh, where or what the competition is doing. We, we sort of uh, dance to our, to our own tune. That doesn't mean that we're not looking at them and paying attention to them. But, you know, the, the driver on where a Big B Coffee goes is really starts with folks deciding that they like our culture. Uh, they like what we stand for. They like our product, and it's something that they can be excited about. And if they want to bring that to their community, then we're excited and we will support that particular effort. And so, you know, a lot of people map out exactly where they're going to go. And for the longest time, we were highly concentrated in the upper Midwest. But uh, these last many years, we've been branching out because there's just so many folks that are like, listen, I want to take this concept, Big B Coffee, I want to take this flag and I want to plant it someplace else because I think it's going to work there. And that's that's what we support today. Now, um, what about the B-cubed modular design? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's that's something else. So, you know, this is one of those drive-through only uh, kind of ideas. But um, the, the modular component is that 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 it's built in advance. It's completely built in advance, um, including signage, including equipment and so on and so forth. And so you need about 12 parking spaces or a little patch of dirt. Uh, we come in and put some footings in and then this, this modular design comes in three parts on a flatbed truck. It's assembled in 48 hours you hook up the utilities, you lay down the tarmac, and you have yourself a freestanding, highly visible drive-through only with a walk-up window concept. And, you know, we had just launched this stuff before we went into COVID here. 
and all these B cubes in our system started moving up to the highest performing stores in the system. So today we have orders for over 40 of these units to be installed. Now we've sold over 87, um, you know, new franchise contracts in this last year, basically during the pandemic and nearly half of those are B cubes. Now, does that require them? They just partner with a kind of a, somebody who has just a parking lot with excess space. Yeah, it can be a variety of things. You know, our concept is really built for flexibility, but there's some arrangements where, you know, we have a retail concept, a big box concept, grocer called Myers here in uh, Michigan in the upper Midwest. And, and we have some arrangements where we can go in their parking lots pretty easily. But really, you can contact any big box user. You know, one of the things about big box today is they need less and less parking because more people are getting stuff delivered or they're picking it up. And so they don't need those spaces as much. And yet, uh, you know, that retail space is so valuable. But the other thing is we can end up on a patch of dirt that is really non-traditional. So, you know, like if you were to look at building something like, uh, you know, a Wendy's or a McDonald's or a Burger King, it would take X amount of acreage. Well, we just don't need that much. And, and often we can find a patch of dirt on a freeway exit that otherwise is not that buildable and go ahead and lay one of these in. Wow. So that gives a, a lot of flexibility for that franchisee. Totally. Totally. So now talking about the pandemic, um, how did you guys uh, navigate that? Was that a challenge in terms of um, staying open or were you able to stay open and leverage kind of the drive through and the curbside that you, that sounds like most of your places have? Yeah. I mean, uh, out of 250 locations were open and operating when we went in, we had 90 that were non drive through. Everything else had, uh, you know, various levels of, of drive through, uh, within the system. Uh, and, and frankly, the very early days of the pandemic were, were the, the scariest, you know, uh, we were on shutdown here in Michigan and, and we had uh, owner operators who were really concerned for their safety or the safety of their staff or the safety of the community. And we offered them a lot of flexibility and, and able to, you know, sort of temporarily shut down if they thought that was the right thing to do. So um, in those first few months of the pandemic, we saw our sales drift down uh, to, to about 70 percent of what they were earlier. But then as we sort of began to work the system and by the system, what I mean is, you know, a franchise system is really just the ecosystem of people that, that, that have common interests, common goals, uh, and common values. And we started something we called a, a town hall, where we would do a, a Zoom call. Uh, in the beginning, it was every day, but then it, it was once a week. And we would problem solve all these safety and security issues together. And sort of, you know, having 150 minds working on this together really produced some unique uh, solutions very fast. And, and what happened is by Mother's Day, our sales went into a, a plus plus territory. So same store sales went from negative 35% for just a matter of weeks to the balance of the year being plus 25%. And so this, this organism, this ecosystem uh, that we call franchising uh, really was the model, the perfect model in a pandemic. Yeah, I think this is really where the benefits of being part of uh, a network like that really come to fruition, where you're getting so many brains working on the same problem to solve and to help each other get through something that was so chaotic. As an individual operator, it would have been difficult 
to get that much kind of brain power and resources that quickly to help turn around an individual. And you, and you're seeing that. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, we're talking about brain power, but the other thing I think that, that exists and, and is hard to, to quantify is sort of the emotional burden of that kind of moment. Right. So when you're responsible for the safety of folks that are working for you or customers that are coming to you or your community at large, that's, that's, that's a, that, that can create quite an emotional toll. And, you know, through our town halls and that kind of thing, we were bringing in experts to talk about how to manage uh, some of that emotional toll in real time. So now you mentioned um, that the growth is still happening, and it sounds like now with this uh, smaller footprint concept, the B-cubed modular design concept, that uh, you guys are just killing it. We are killing it. And, and you know, the thing that is allowing us to kill it is is not – you know, not that the pandemic happened or anything like that, but but our brand values, which which revolve around uh, the idea of love and community, just um, you know, you heard a lot of concepts talk about this idea. We had to pivot during the pandemic, and we never pivoted. What we did was we just turned up uh, the dial on the idea of um, loving people um, and the idea of community is the most important thing. And I think it just became super obvious to those that were in the system and those that were outside the system looking in that what we were about was real, tangible, and something that people wanted to be a part of. You know, one of the greatest compliments to us is, you know, out of those 80 some odd new contracts that we signed, 50% of those came from our uh, current or existing owner operators, right? So they they were so moved during this period of time. And so uh, sort of, um, there was so much confirmation about how they felt about our system and what it stood for that they signed up for more. Now, you mentioned the importance of culture, community. Um, I would imagine those are some of the qualities you look for uh, in a new franchisee. But do you have kind of an ideal a persona of an ideal franchisee for Big B? No, I think we gave up on the idea of deciding what the ideal person was. What we do is present almost in an extreme way who we are. Right. So, you know, our purpose is to support people in building a life they love. That's the thing that we lean into really hard, whether we're talking about the baristas or the owner operator or the community and our vision for our company is to improve workplace culture in America. And so we're looking about, you know, we're looking at changing how people are treated at work and what that means to them, right? So we really lean into that in the most aggressive manner when we're talking to people that are interested in joining our system. And we believe it's kind of up to them to decide whether they want to opt into that kind of idea or opt out of that idea. And then, uh, so you just be your authentic self and then you're attracting the folks that kind of want to be part of the tribe? That's right. And, you know, there there might be folks that are like, hey, that's a little too hippy dippy for me. I don't want to be involved with that. And you know what? That that works out really great for us uh, because we just keep compounding this idea that we are here to support people in building a life they love. Good stuff. Well, congratulations on all the success. If somebody wants to learn more, uh, what's the website for a potential franchisee or just somebody who wants to get a good cup of coffee? Yeah, right. Oh, I mean, 
if you want to find out about franchising, uh, the easiest place to go to is, is bigbfranchising.com. And, and the word Big B has two G's in it. Um, and, and you know what? Even if, you've, even if you're not interested in Big B itself and you're just sort of interested in the idea of franchising or you want to find out a little bit more about a specialty coffee concept, I would really suggest going to that. You can find out a lot of information just about what we do and so on. But the beautiful thing is somebody's going to pick up the phone and talk to you too in the end. And so if you ever had these questions you wanted to ask about franchising, we're more than happy to answer any of those for you. And then if you're interested in knowing just more about Big B Coffee, you can go to bigb.com and there you can find out a lot about our cultural values and what, what's important to us. And then the other website I would give you is, you know, we're on a mission here at Big B to go... 100% uh, farm direct in terms of the acquisition of our coffee. And we have a, a leg uh, that we call one big island in space. And, and again, the word big has two G's in it. And there you can find out about our journey to uh, meet farmers and build relationships with farmers directly uh, so that our consumers and our owner operators can know where their coffee is coming from. Well, thank you, Bob, for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you, Lee. It's been great. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Franchise Marketing Radio.